do you second guess yourself? You know what I'm talking about, right? You make a decision and then you're like, boy, is that really the decision I wanted to make? <clears throat> Last night, you know, Vicky and I ordered a little food and it was like, was that really what I wanted? Well, it's too late now, you know, you put in the order. It's like, what can I, wait, wait. Is that what I, or did you make a purchase that's like, oh, should I have gone with green? Maybe green would have been the color. Or what about relationships? Can I really trust that person? Is it really someone I could say, yeah, I could count on them. They're someone I could rely on. They're someone I truly trust. Is it someone who really cares? Well, they, everyone says they care, but do these people really care about me? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? What's the next step for my... We second guess ourselves all of the time. Good purchase, right job, right career, even the right gift. <clears throat> I could tell this past Christmas when I, my brother-in-law opened his gift, I didn't choose wisely. <laughs> it, he pretended it was fine. He was disappointed. <laughs> I felt bad. Did I do the right thing? Well, in our scriptures today, we're going to look at a story, a story in the life of Abraham and Sarah, uh, where their family members are in crisis, and they ultimately have to make some choices. And we see in this story really some principles that help us understand whether or not we've made good choices or bad choices, whether or not somebody truly cares, and whether or not someone is trustworthy. And I think in that message, it points us back to the good news of Jesus and how good our God is and how loving and caring our God really is and how trustworthy He always is. So let's take a look. Have you made a bad choice? Well, let's look at the story. You remember last week, Abraham and Lot? Remember how their flocks and their herds and the peoples had gotten too much for them? And, and Abraham kind of says, okay, Lot, you're my nephew. You take first choice. And Lot goes down into the, the well-watered regions where the Jordan River flowed, down by the, the Dead Sea, down where, where it was lush, where it was green, and there was plenty of space for his pastures. And Abraham said, well, okay, I'll stay up here in the hill country. I'll stay up here where eh, it's a little bit less secure. But it turned out Abraham had made a wise choice. And Lot went to be where the people who were living were sinning greatly against the Lord. We all know that the scripture is true in 1 Corinthians where it says, bad company can corrupt good character. <clears throat> Many of us want to be the like, yeah, see, that, it was their fault. I hope it wasn't us that were the corruptors. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of sometimes. Well, let's look at the story and what happened to Lot. He went around where there were some people, some bad people that began to corrupt the situation and began to make very, very unwise choices. And in Genesis 14, it says, At the time when Araphel was king of Shinar, Arioch was king of Elisar, uh, Kedo Laomar was king of Elam and Tidal king of Goyim. These kings went to war against, and there it is, Bera king of Sodom. That's where Lot was living, remember? With, with the people of Sodom, with the people of Gomorrah. It was Bersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, and Shemember uh, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. Well, there's a lot of kings with a lot of names. 
They went to war against each other. One of them, the one with a keg, Kelo Latomir, he was the one that was sort of in charge and everybody had been paying tribute to him. And some of the kings said, we've had enough of this. We want to do our own thing. We want our own independence. If we gang up, maybe we can win our independence. And in verse 8 it says this, well, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up the battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kelolaomir, the king of Elam, four kings against five. Was this a good choice? This choice to go to war, this choice to rebel, that affect lives. It's why we need to always be in prayer for those who are in authority in this nation and those that are in authority around the world. God hasn't put us there. I'm really glad. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be president. I don't want to be in charge. But I'm telling you, we all have an obligation to pray for those whose choices can make huge impact in others. But you realize that's for those of us who have a role in a business where we might be a supervisor or a boss. That has a role for us who in our families, we are making decisions that impact others. Even in our neighborhoods with our neighbors, we all make choices that have an influence on the lives of others. Here we see these kings making choices and we see Lot had made a bad choice because all of a sudden he found himself in the midst of a conflict that he had no business being a part of, had no desire to be a part of, but because of his choice uh, for what he thought was the good land, to live near a people of wickedness, he finds himself stuck. Well, these kings made a bad choice. They made a bad choice. Look what happens in verse 10. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. I've never been around tar pits. They sound bad. <clears throat> and when the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah fled, some of their men fell into the tar pits, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food, and they went away. They carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Here for making the choice to say, well, this looks more comfortable. This looks more entertaining. They have more resources here in Sodom. The food is better. The entertainment is better. This is civilization. This is a better place. I think this is a good place for me. Lot finds himself in the middle of conflict, in the middle of war, in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of his whole family being enslaved. Now, what you have to realize, the king of Sodom doesn't actually get carried off into slavery. The king of Gomorrah doesn't get taken away. It's the people. So often, it's not the leaders who get in trouble. It's those who are affected by their decisions. And Lot was carried away. What can we learn from a passage like this? Have we made a bad choice? Well, We've often, when we know God has called us to a particular thing, when we know that God is saying this is the way you're to go, when we know, and we say no for whatever reason. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe we're afraid of what we're going to give up or what we're going to lose. When we say no to what we know God is calling us to, that's always a bad choice. That's always a bad choice. When we say something that, when you choose to do something that is outside of God's will, that is outside of God's calling, when we say, well, I know that you know, God doesn't want me to lie or steal or cheat, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, 
because it's just my taxes, right? Nobody cares about that. Or it's just downloading some MP3 file music kind of things. Right. I, right I'm, not me. No, Jim. <clears throat> pay, pay your money. Pay. There are artists that depend on that. And that's right. That's right. When we know there are things that, that God has called us not to do that are against his word, it's just wrong. I remember a friend of mine uh, many, many years ago who told me his, his marriage was not going well, but he told me he'd found his true soulmate. Not God's will. Adultery is never God's will. It is never what, what is really his call. God has called us to be faithful just as he is faithful. We know the, 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 the parameters that God has set for us. He is never calling us to do something that is against what his word has shown us. We can always look for things that are harmful. No matter how righteous we are, if we are doing something that is truly harmful to yourself or to others, it's always wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do things that hurt, right? Sometimes we have to be confrontational. Sometimes we have to, those of you parents, know that sometimes we have to do things that our kids don't think are, <laughs> but it is for their good. We have to set some limits. We set some boundaries. We have the difficult conversations. If we are going to be a disciple-making church, that means we're going to have some tough conversations. That sometimes means we're going to talk to each other and say, this was not okay, this was not right. I've had some good friends say some things to me. This way, hey, hey, this was out of bounds. I was like, you're right. It is okay for us to do things that feel like, oh, that hurts a little bit. But things that are harmful are different. Things that actually do damage. Things that are actually meant to just destroy or bring down. That is always outside of the will of God. Spiritually negative consequences? That's a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to give up Bible reading for Lent. No! <laughs> no! That is not a good choice. Oh, I think, you know, I'm going to give up going to, 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 to be with the Lord's people. I, I think just I need a break from, from being around God and being around His Word. Always a bad choice. Always a bad choice. Even stepping away from ministries and service to others, that can be a negative choice, except for specific times of maybe Sabbath or renewal. It, it, I've seen too many that kind of end up saying, well, I've been doing pastoral leadership, or I've been teaching Sunday school, or I've been doing it, but you know, I just need a break from all of that. I need a break from the church stuff. If you want to stay warm, if you want to stay hot in your relationship with God, you got to be close to the fire. It was a lesson I learned as a child. I remember very distinctly driving home on, it was a Christmas or a Thanksgiving from my grandparents' house, and I was sitting in the back seat. It was a late night drive back. It was about a five-hour trip from Houston to Texas or to Fort Worth. Um, as we're driving back to Fort Worth, I'm listening to my parents. They, don't th they think I'm sleeping, but I'm listening to my parents. And I heard my dad say to my mother, I hope the Lord never takes us out of vocational full-time Christian ministry because it's so easy to lose sight on reality. Now, it is not full-time vocational Christian ministry that keeps our sight on reality. But what they said and what they meant was that if we stop actually being engaged in that service to God's people, using our gifts for the Lord, if we stop being part of what God is doing, how easy we become focused on things that are not real. You know, 
the temporary, just this life, this world. We forget if when we get focused on just vacation or just being with our families or just our, our, our physical careers, we lose sight on what God is doing in the world. We become enamored with or and even just addicted to the news. It may not even be enamored. We might actually hate it. But it's like we keep on putting that into our lives instead of realizing that God is at work today, that God is bringing people to himself today, that God is doing something bigger in the world. Don't disengage from his people. Lot had moved away. Now, it seemed out of necessity, but he stayed, went to an area where his connection was with the world and not with his, his uncle, this man of God, Abram, called to be in his presence. Do you get disconnected? I know I can just get tempted to do that. I, it's just a little bit at first, but then I find myself just all about my work, all about my job. I stop spending that close, intimate time with the Lord. I stop, well, I just need a break. And all of a sudden, I find myself drifting. How do you know if you've made a bad choice? Well, let me tell you, when we're walking with God, it's a lot easier to have confidence that we're making good choices because he has promised, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. How do we know? Are you doing things that are helping you make good choices, or are we kind of drifting? Number two, here's one that I think is really important. How do we know if somebody really cares? I mean, everybody says, oh, oh, I care about you, and they'll listen for a few minutes, and then their eyes glaze over, <laughs> or, you know, it's like, oh, I want to help, and then, boy, where were they when I really needed them? How do you know somebody really cares? Now, we can be, we can quite honestly make mistakes on this one, because sometimes when people aren't there right when I needed them, well, if they didn't know you had a need, Maybe they, they literally just didn't know you had a need. Maybe it was the fact that they really did have some other obligation that was more demanding on your life. So be very careful judging others all, all the time if they aren't right available right when you wanted them, right in the way you wanted them. But I do think this passage helps us see some places where when we see this consistently happening in lives, we can know they really care. Look at what it says in verse 13, after this big battle, after this war had happened, after Lot has been captured, it says in verse 13 that a man escaped uh, who came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abraham was living near the great trees of Mom and the Amorite, uh, the brother of Eschol and Adner, all who were allied with Abram. Abram found a place. He found a place by these trees, by this, where, where others who had lived, other nomadic peoples had been near some towns that turned out to be a good place, people that truly allied himself, people that helped provide protection for Abram, and Abram helped provide protection to, to them. And here in this place, Abraham hears. In verse 14, it says, Abraham hears what happened. And what does he say? That his relative had been taken captive. He called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Verse 15. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them. He routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all of the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all of the people. 
Abraham, at risk to himself, took himself, all of his trained men, the men he hired that help his shepherds, who take care of his goods, the ones that protected his family. He reallocated all of those resources and put them uh, in, in pursuit of Lot and all of the peoples of Sodom, Gomorrah, and others. He went to rescue and take the, those who were in slavery to bring them back, to rescue the goods and the materials, though that doesn't seem to matter to him later in the story. What matters to him as the people to bring them out of this, this slavery. His friends went with him. They were true friends. Abraham was a true family member. These people took their lives in their own hands to go and rescue someone else. How do you know if someone really cares? Well, I think we see some things in this passage. Risky pursuit. <laughs> This idea that, that even though he's leaving his own family unprotected, he's leaving his own flocks uncared for, they are in pursuit of those that are in really in need. Sort of reminds me of Jesus when he said, I've come to seek, seek and save those who are lost. Jesus tells the story of, of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and when one of them went astray, he leaves the ninety-nine unprotected to go in this risky pursuit to find the one sheep who is lost. Our God cares because he comes after us. He pursues us. There is not a person in this world that the great shepherd is not pursuing today. You may have given up hope, but our God has not. The God of all hope and comfort. Well, we know because there's a reallocation of resources. Have you noticed that caring costs? Caring costs. Sometimes I just wish, well, can I just give some money? Because if I could just give some money, then that would be fine. It typically costs time. It costs energy. It costs emotional support. It can be draining in our lives. Caring costs. I know we want to often build a little shield around our lives. I know we often want to make it where, where we can just handle what we can handle. I think if we're going to be like our God, if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to be those who are willing to, to, to care when it hurts, to care when it costs, to give more than what we even sometimes feel like we can give. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about it, he says, we have been under great strain, even far beyond our ability to endure. Yeah, it's beyond our own ability, but not beyond the power of the Lord in us. The God who cares gives us strength. How do you know someone really cares? There's a reallocation of resources. And finally, there's redemptive goals. There's redemptive goals. You might back up one slide for us. Um, redemptive goals. It wasn't about going to get the stuff. Well, gosh, if I rescue and defeat these armies, you know, they're already kind of weakened. There have been the big battles. I know they're carrying off the plunder. Now's a great time when they're tired. Uh, we'll attack them at night. We'll go ahead and then, then the plunder will be ours. That wasn't Abraham's goal. It wasn't about getting material possessions. It wasn't about fame of winning a great victory. It wasn't about something for his own uh, aggrandizement. It was not about making himself bigger or seem larger. It was about bringing the people home. It was redemption. It was bringing people out of slavery. Abraham cared about Lot. Abraham cares 
about those, his allies. Abraham cared about the people of Sodom, the people of Gomorrah. Well, finally, how do we know that Abraham's trustworthy? How do we know that he's a trustworthy person? How do we know when someone is trustworthy? In this story, we'll see examples of that. Verse 17, it picks up. Abraham returned from defeating Cato uh, uh, Laomer and the kings allied with him. And the king of Sodom, notice that he wasn't among the captives, he came out to meet him. <laughs> Word has reached the king of Sodom. Hey, your people got rescued. Hey, the possessions are back. And the king of Sodom comes out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. This is up north in the hill country near Jerusalem. As that king came out, another king comes out. In verse 18 it says, Melchizedek came out. He's the king of Salem. Now, Salem is identified all the way through history as Jerusalem. It is the city of Jerusalem that we know today, the city where Jesus was ultimately crucified, the city that was the capital of the Israelites, the city that was the, the place where God put his name and his temple, uh, the city that became famous. And it says this Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which just means peace, the king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, this priest and king, he came out to bless Abraham with bread and wine to refresh these soldiers, not just for Abraham, but for all of these men. He brings out a costly offering, a costly sacrifice, a costly gift. And it says, blessed be Abraham God, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first record we have of some kind of a tithe, sometimes a giving of a tenth. We don't know if this meant the tenth of all of Abram's possessions, could have been, or it could be a tenth of all the plunder that he had gotten out of the, out of the battle, but it's a tenth. He's, he's recognizing that this man is a priest and, and deserves this offering, maybe not in, in of himself, but just as a gift to him as he brings out the refreshments, as he brings out the, rep, the, the provisions for the battle-weary troops, for all of Abram's men and all of his allies is a gift back to this king. And let's remember, this king had no, no reason to do this. His kingdom was safe. He wasn't attacked. His people weren't rescued. This is just a gift out of the goodness of his heart, so to speak. Is he trustworthy? Well, Abram sure seems to think so. And the king of Sodom comes out and says, <clears throat> well, Abram, Verse 21, Abram, give me the people, and you keep the goods for yourself. Now, you could keep them all. You won the battle. You have an army. I don't have an army anymore. I can't even win my people back from you if you chose to. But let's make a little bargain here. You don't want all these people. That's just going to be a hassle all for you. You give me the people back, and, and I'll try to rebuild my kingdom, and, and you keep all the stuff. We'll let that kind of be your payment sort of thing. He wants to bargain. He wants to bargain. Melchizedek came out just with a gift. Abram responds with an offering to God and a gift. The trustworthy people are not so much interested in the bargaining, not so much interested in getting what's good for them, but interested in giving. Verse 22, Abraham says to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, 
notice his focus is on God. That I'm going to accept nothing from you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. You're not the one who blesses me. You and your lifestyle, what you have chosen, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want your goods. I don't want your people. Verse 24, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Anar and Eskol uh, and Marm. Uh, let them have their share. How do you know if someone is trustworthy? Well, number one, they give generously, not bargaining. Go ahead and go to that next slide. Um, how do you know if someone is trustworthy? They give generally, generously, not trying to bargain or trying to gain advantage. They glorify God, not seek some kind of selfish gain or seek some kind of like, I want to put my name out there. They are about God's glorification. Giving faithfully. Giving faithfully. So often we think, well, I, I don't have much. It's not about how much. It's about choosing to say, God, everything I have has been given to me by you. I'm just responding. I'm just responding. Keeping my heart in the right place because our God actually doesn't have needs. We give to him out of a response. Just like Abraham gave to Melchizedek, that king, out of a response. We need trustworthy leaders in government. We need trustworthy leaders in our lives. We need trustworthy people, people we can count on. They're people that are not out for themselves. They're really out for the God's glory and the goodness of others. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, look, when he's talking about false teachers, he says, by the fruit you will recognize them. You don't pick grapes from thorn bushes. You don't get figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and bad tree will bear bad fruit. Well, my brothers and sisters, this morning I hope we're pulling away some ideas about, you know, this is something I need to think about. Are these people trustworthy in my life? And am I being trustworthy in the lives of others? Am I genuinely showing that I care and reflecting the heart of God? Am I the person that's making wise choices in light of who God is? But you know, some of us here today, we might actually be questioning whether God really cares. Whether God is really trustworthy. Maybe you're listening online and you're thinking, I just don't know if I can give my life to the Lord or I can trust that church or I can trust these. How, how do I know if God really cares? Well, let me tell you, God's been in a risky pursuit of you. He reallocated all the resources of heaven when he put his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who, by whom and for whom the universe was made, when he put Jesus on the cross, he redeemed us. He gave us a way to be saved. He put all of heaven's glory and treasure on a piece of wood, nailing his son to the cross that you might have forgiveness and have life. Our God cares for us. Jesus said that he came not to seek his own glory, but, but he came to seek and to save the lost. I'm always surprised when students ask, well, I don't know that God cares. I don't know. He cares because he's demonstrated on the cross. Your circumstances, might, you might think, well, gosh, I, but I don't, things aren't going my way. Things have been rough. Things have been difficult. Yes, we all face difficulties. Jesus said, in this life, you will face many trials. But take heart, 
I've overcome the world. Our God cares for us. The circumstances aren't what show us whether or not God cares for us. The cross is what shows us first and foremost and fully that God cares for us. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God cares for you. He is someone you can put your hope. He is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Flip to the next slide for me. Why do I know God is trustworthy? Because he's been preparing the same answer forever. He's been answering the question and proving his trustworthiness forever. Some of you guys, I think I, I, I need to not stop. I, this illustration is probably going to go away fairly soon. But some of you guys might remember Johnny Carson. Anybody remember Johnny Carson, Tonight Show guy? Do you remember his little bit, his great Karnak bit, where he would answer the little questions um, before? You, you kind of check, I mean, he, he would always sort of know what the answer is, but it would kind of be sort of just off kilter a little bit for what the question was. It, 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 it was a pretty funny little bit there. Did you know God had been preparing an answer for a question for over 2,000 years? It's a question you don't even know to ask. But for the people who were first experiencing this message that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God's king, and that he is our great high priest, he has died for our sins, they couldn't believe it. They said, no, you can't be the king and the priest. Look at the next slide. Um, the early first century Jewish population were saying, we can't believe this because you can't be both king and Messiah because the kings had to descend from David and the, and, and the priests and the Levites had to descend from Levi and from Aaron. They can't be from the same tribe. They they can't be the same person. It can't be one person to be priest and king. Well, around 2085 BC, we see this war and we see this interaction between Abram and Melchizedek, this king and priest. He was king and priest, and he came out bringing bread and wine. He came from a place called Jerusalem, this, this city called the city of peace. He was the king of peace. And his name, Melchizedek, meant king of righteousness. Well, he's not mentioned again. Melchizedek's not mentioned for a thousand years. But in 985 BC, a thousand years later, David writes in Psalm 110 that the Messiah would be priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What? That's what it says, Psalm 110, 1, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Messiah, he's talking to the Messiah. Jesus quotes this psalm when he's talking about the Messiah. All the Jewish leaders were like, yeah, that is about the Messiah. They all know that this psalm is about the Messiah. And then it says in verse 4, you are a priest, Messiah, Messiah King. You were a priest forever in the order of El Melchizedek. Wait, what? A thousand years later, the author of the book of Hebrews spends three chapters explaining how Jesus is both Messiah and priest. Not in the priesthood that came from Aaron, but in this priesthood of Melchizedek, this symbol that God had given 2,000 years before Jesus came to earth to show that he has a plan of redemption. He's committed to this story. He's been making preparations. Yeah, on Valentine's Day, if I'm running home and just picking up flowers from the guy on the side of the road, may not be a good sign of love. Though they were twice as expensive this year. Um, but, <laughs> but the person who's been planning, planning that engagement, planning that wedding, planning that over a long period of time, they're trustworthy. Our God 
is trustworthy. In Hebrews it says, you know, his name means Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. He's also the king of Salem, which means king of peace. He's resembling the very son of God and remains our priest forever. Not Melchizedek, Jesus. Well, have you made the right choice? Have you made the right choice? In the book of John, the disciples, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, they are asked this question. Jesus asked them, and I'm going to let you skip all the way down um, to verse 60 for me. The people hear what Jesus says as he begins to say, you've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood because my flesh is, is, is real food and my blood is real drink. The people ask, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And from now then on, verse 66, many of the disciples turned away and they didn't follow him any longer. Did they make a bad choice? I think so. Verse 67, Jesus asked his disciples, do you want to leave too? Do you want to leave too? He asked the 12. Peter responds in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In this scene, in the book of John, Jesus is showing what he was about to do. Oh, it was going to be a few years down the road. But Jesus was going to have a dinner right before he would die on the cross. Before his resurrection, Jesus would take bread and said, This bread, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's my body. He went on to say, this cup, and he took the cup uh, and passed it around to his disciples and passed it. He said, this cup is a new agreement, the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We know that we have made a good choice because our God is trustworthy, because our God cares because our God has faithfully made a way for our salvation. It's not this. This is only a symbol, a symbol of the gift that God gave when his son died for our sins when he rose again. You know, as a disciple-making church, we're going to face some hard choices. We're going to make some hard interactions with one another. Kind of the question is, are you leaving? Or is, it, is it too hard? If God's assigned you somewhere else, fine. But if God's calling you here, if God's calling you here, where else do we go? Jesus has the words of life. He's the one that makes the difference in our hearts. He's the one who calls us into this deep fellowship with him. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, as we take this bread and this cup, help us remember the grace of our Savior Jesus. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you take this time to remember, and remember that his body was broken for you, do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink this cup, 
You do this, you remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of his sacrifice. Lord, thank you. How can we say more than thank you? We want to give you our lives as an offering back. A tithe, you deserve everything because you gave everything for us. Thank you for being our king, our Melchizedek, our righteousness. Thank you for being our peace. Thank you for being our priest. Lord Jesus, be glorified. May your lame name be exalted in everything we do. Amen. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, maybe you have a decision to make. Maybe your decision is to come be part of this congregation. Maybe it's to, that you're looking to be baptized. Maybe you have a decision to follow Jesus. If you want to come to the front, you're welcome to come. And uh, we can talk now, or you can approach afterwards. But you come and respond as God is calling you. You, as a people, let's, call, let's respond to God's call to be like Jesus. I'm going to turn this over to Aaron as he invites us to stand and sing.